0: Hi everyone, Boris here. Sorry for the quick interruption, but I have to tell you about some exciting new job openings that are added to the LogTechies job board. Have you heard of the LogTechies job board? LogTechies is the first hand-curated job board for the field of logistics technology. That's where I post the coolest LogTech jobs at those companies that I currently find the most interesting. Brand new to the board is Bex Technologies from Stuttgart, Germany. Bex is building a logistics platform for the construction industry that helps companies coordinate deliveries to construction sites. I've had CEO and co-founder Leonard Paul on the podcast before, and I know they're going places. Right now, they're hiring for a number of exciting roles, including a CFO COO and a head of logistics. Aleiko from Munich, Germany, is another new addition to the LogTechies job board. Aleiko offers seamless e-commerce fulfillment for fast-rising online shops and e-commerce brands. The company raised $30 million in Series A round earlier this year and is now on an ambitious growth trajectory. They are looking to fill a number of sales roles, for example. For junior as well as for seasoned professionals, you should definitely take a look at the openings. Aside from Bex Technologies and Leica, you will also find exciting roles from TradeLink, Noise Technologies, Fanright, Sender, and others. Please have a look and follow the board so you can stay updated on when new companies and jobs get added. You find the Logtechies job board at logtechies.com. L-O-G-T-E-C-H-I-E-S.com. Logtechies.com. All right, and now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Logistics Drive. I'm your host Boris Felgendreer, and my guest on today's show is Ajesh Kapoor. Ajesh is the founder and CEO of SemiCab. SemiCab is a US-based LogTech startup that is bringing multi-enterprise collaboration to the world of truck transportation. SemiCab offers tech-enabled services and connects shippers and carriers on a collaborative transportation platform. Ajesh took me on a deep-dive tour on how the idea for SemiCab emerged How he started the company, why SemiCab is unique in its approach, what value the platform creates for shippers and carriers, what the company's growth plans look like and much more. Super interesting conversation that I hope you'll enjoy. Before we get started, a quick thanks to our supporters Grey Orange. Grey Orange automates warehouse operations through a combination of AI, software and autonomous mobile robots. Grey Orange systems are in place at some very prominent companies such as IKEA or the Danish household goods and furniture retailer Jysk. If you're looking to get your warehouse and fulfillment operations to the next level with the help of autonomous robots and automation, you should definitely have Grey Orange on your list. Check them out at greyorange.com. All right, and now we're on to the show with Rajesh Kapoor from SemiCat. Enjoy. Hello, Ajash, Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program.
1: Thank you for having me, Boris.
0: Jash, last time we talked at any decent length was when we were still colleagues together at uh, InfoNexus. That's a few years ago. Fast forward a few years and now here you are, successful entrepreneur with a startup called Semicab. I want to hear all about it, <laughs> but it's, it's been a while, huh?
1: It has been a while and uh, Infor has been doing uh, seems to be doing well. Infor Nexus Crowd is still uh, some good friends over there and uh, you know e- yeah. excited about Semicab, what we are doing. We are still a startup so <laughs> successful yes. there are degrees of success. I think we are uh, we are doing well but uh, looking forward to doing much more.
0: Awesome. Yeah, give us the the very short pitch, the elevator pitch of what Semicab is doing before we dive into some of the specifics later on and then also your transition from from the corporate world so to speak to your own boss so what's the what's the short pitch what does Semicab do the
1: the reason we founded Semicab was uh, very specific and uh, when you look at the trucking networks across the world no matter what geography you are looking at these are extremely inefficient networks and uh, in more than one way So one of those is where uh, people measure it by uh, the efficiency, the utilization of the resources that you deploy in the space. So your Mm -hmm. trucks, they are uh, running empty, even in an advanced network with all kinds of data. In the US, they are running one in three miles empty. So that is one, one part of it where you obviously want to improve that. it it has a very direct impact on the environment. So you want to bring in a solution that actually is able to cut that down and utilize that mileage in a more effective way. But then there's a social component to it because the way everything is structured, the trucks are on the road for weeks at a time and the drivers don't really know when they're going to get home. So that unpredictable nature leads to a very high driver attrition and driver safety issues. That, mm-hmm. that becomes a pretty big uh, part of the problem because uh, driver attrition leads to carriers spending uh, a whole lot more money on that side and uh, just trying to provide reliable service to their customers. That becomes a challenge every day. So uh, that's what we set out to solve. And uh, obviously with the team and the experience that we bring together in taking a multi-enterprise approach, solving this problem bringing uh, entities from different spectrums together under one umbrella and being able to optimize that is unique about us and uh, that is the that is the mission we live by
0: yeah and what's the what's the history of the gestation of the idea i mean you've been obviously been in logistics supply chain and on the technology side for for a long long time Looking back, was there a crucial moment or like a, a pivotal moment where you realized, okay, here, you know, that that trucking, that full truckload, long distance trucking, this suboptimal? I want to take a crack at that. When was there a specific moment when you had that realization?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, I think a couple of uh, different milestones during this journey. So uh, I started out in this logistics and optimization space back in the mid '90s. And uh, hmm. did my first startup back in the year two thousand. Uh, so that's th- an interesting
0: time to have a startup in two thousand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the exit was uh, exit was in two thousand seven, which was uh, interesting again. But uh, <laughs> okay, so, well, are you,
0: so so you started something in two thousand that survived the bubble, so to speak, the yeah. the, the tech explosion, uh-huh. and it survived until two thousand seven. Okay, all yeah, right, that's I mean, the first success on your belt. Okay,
1: yeah, we had a good exit, uh, and. Uh, Uh, The the, the key part was uh, when you look at 2007 specifically. And till that time, uh, I was in the last mile delivery space, transportation planning from an enterprise-centric perspective, right? And uh, you start looking at uh, these guys not having visibility to where the carrier assets are, and you start thinking about, okay, how do you bring the two together? At the same time, what happened in 2007-8 crash, recession that uh, U.S. entered into, Uh, All the uh, carriers who are spending all the investing the capital in those trucks, uh, running the operations, doing all the hard work, uh, they are going bust and the brokers, they are basically making uh, record profits. And there was a whole lot of stuff that was going on that said, you know, there has to be a better way of doing these things instead of uh, this boom and bust all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so cyclical. And then the next part that come in, so that was, uh, I think, the genesis of the idea of what we wanted to do. But in terms of the feasibility, just coming out of another startup, timing is key in these things. So we wanted to wait on some of the technology pieces to be available, uh, make sure that we have the right approach and that we can actually implement it in a practical way. So the electronic logging device mandate in the U.S. was a big, huge uh, propeller for it, and of course the. When
0: did that come about? When was when was that as a milestone? Uh,
1: so, uh, two thousand sixteen or so is when uh, this thing was uh, getting much more talked about, and got rolled out over twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. So that got was okay. that was big, and then of course uh, the experience at GTX was just building a multi-enterprise platform from the ground up and introducing optimization into it. Uh, those those were key key experiences, key learnings that we wanted to uh, round out uh, what we were out to build at SemiCab.
0: Yeah, but at the same time from your the initial idea when it developed in, let's say, 2007 until you finally pulled the trigger, so to speak, to launch it, a whole bunch of stuff happened in the sense that a whole bunch of other platforms that try to do similar things were launched, right? So there's very big platforms, very established platforms. And if you look at their websites, it sounds essentially like they're trying to do the same thing. Explain to us what those companies have been trying to do and how that hasn't quite led to the solution of the problem and and how you're solving it differently.
1: Yeah, it was actually uh, uh, one of the key motivators for us uh, that when we looked at the ventures that were getting funded between, let's say, 2015 and 2018. Um, because even between 2016 and 18, we knew the solution that we were going to bring to the market. But if there were people who were going to do something meaningful, something similar, uh, it would have given us a pause. It would have given us uh, a, an opportunity to evolve the solution from there. The What was happening, you're uh, rightly pointing out, this was the first time the investment community was recognizing how large this opportunity was, and they were. As an example like
0: like a convoy, for example, right? Would yeah. Be an example of like a company that's super heavily financed by venture capital and is like triple unicorn evaluation, that sort of thing. You're yep. talking about, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And but the the approach that these companies had taken, I think uh, there is uh, so many problems in the trucking industry when you look at the efficiency part of it. Uh, they were looking at the spot market brokerage as the primary piece where they wanted to minimize the number of phone calls, they wanted to minimize uh, some of the friction in that where people are picking up the phone, finding an order, and then on the other end, picking up a phone, finding a carrier who can cover it, automating, digitizing that part of the process. Mm -hmm. Bringing in uh, the smaller carriers, owner-operators into the mix, because uh, the large shippers, large enterprises cannot do business directly with those guys. So they were uh, making that process simpler and augmenting the capacity, but it was Which is super important, right? Because back right. in
0: the days, it was like a pen and paper and maybe an Excel spreadsheet and phone and fax and stuff, right? That's it was exactly super analog. Right.
1: That's exactly right. Okay. okay. So so taking that process and uh, uh, making that process easier, I think that, uh, that uh, did solve a relevant problem in the market space. At the same time, Uh, When you deal with the spot market, it fluctuates so much. Like uh, during COVID times, when we look at just the full truckload market in the US, it was above $100 billion, right? 30% of the overall market. Uh, Right now it is down below 10%. And it's random in the lanes that show up where, uh, because the trucks are moving all the time, so the capacity imbalances are in different places. What our focus was uh, from day one, was to build a more efficient network. So the way we went to market, we said, uh, we are going to become the primary providers for the contract freight. We are not going to uh, set it up with dynamic pricing where we are taking a load at a time. We want to bring these large enterprises in and they are entering a collaborative space. They don't have to collaborate directly in a traditional way that they are basically talking to each other and trying to figure it out. but. Because they enter this space, we are able to orchestrate collaboration across them by looking at it holistically, optimizing across. And before you can optimize across, you have to be able to predict what domiciles uh, the loads are originating, what locations and what lanes the volumes are on, which customers are coming in, where the synergies are. And so a completely different approach to, uh, even from a technology perspective, There is a collaboration part to the platform. That's the foundation of it, making it very, very simple, bringing in all kinds of systems underneath. But on top of that, the engine that we build that we call predictive optimization, that allows us to utilize all the trucks and drivers much more efficiently and then able to bring the drivers back home in a very predictable schedule. Right, so mm-hmm. so the, it, it's a it's a very different problem we are solving. It's very easy to get lost in uh, it, it's trucking and everybody is trying to match uh, shippers and uh, carriers.
0: But if the problem is as big as you describe it, uh, like how come nobody has noticed it, or has it been noticed but it hasn't been solved, or the idea hasn't come up, or has been approached in a different way or a wrong way? What's uh, what am I missing?
1: Yeah, the evolution is actually kind of interesting in that uh, even when we hit the market. Uh, so, this will tell you a little bit about it. It literally felt like it was latent demand, where you had uh, these companies literally waiting. Uh, we have never had, uh, throughout our career, when we have been uh, out there selling software solutions and some very effective and very needed ones, the sales cycles have never been shorter for us, right? And the reason was uh, the way this thing evolved, uh, companies had uh, enterprises on this side they had tried to collaborate directly with each other. And uh, when you don't have a platform, limited synergies and no predictive optimization technology, it's very, very hard to find win-wins and create win-wins in those sites. So that was one uh, part, one approach that people had taken, knew the shortcomings, knew that a platform like this would help. The second approach that uh, has been tried a couple of times is where people tried to come in and uh, created a technology platform and uh, tried to make it keep their hands clean, uh, build a technology (laughs) only solution, right? And uh, you bring these guys in and now you are trying to create these multi-party contracts for each set of uh, stuff that you have to do on a daily basis and uh, the problem becomes almost impossible to manage And of course, when the distribution of gains happens, because there are significant gains to be had in these situations, uh, the thing falls apart. So that has happened a couple of times. And uh, those were some of the learnings as we evolved the business model at right? So there was a reason we didn't go with a technology-only, platform-only solution. We basically decided the tech-enabled services model was the right way to do it because you can provide the reliability that the enterprise shippers need and at the same time treat the carriers the way you want them to be treated right
0: yeah and then how long did it take from when you first pulled the trigger and you started doing your whole thing until you had a prototype that you were comfortable going out to the market with like how, how long uh, did you spend in the lab so to speak developing this before you had something a prototype a, a minimal viable product that you were able to show out there?
1: Oh that's a that's a good question because uh, the, the, the standards are different on those two sides just in terms of math when we talk about predictive optimization. Nothing even close to this scale had ever been uh, modeled. Forget forget uh, when we talk about solving this problem, and then solving this problem to uh, something that reaches close to optimality. So we were aware of it. We had the model, but we wanted to test it out at a scale where we want you need the, the data, platform right? to grow.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you need to try it out. Yeah. yeah,
1: so we were able to source the data after building the initial engine we were able to source the data where we were bringing in close to half a million loads a week. And we had the location data for different trucking domiciles, thousands and thousands of them, right? And so that's what we tested the solution on for a good close to 12 months, Boris, before we uh, were comfortable that we would hit the market.
0: Okay, so you, you had to form partnerships with these, these shippers to even get to the data, right? Or how would you be able to get the data?
1: Yeah, some of the some of the shipper data, some of the open source data that we sourced. And uh, so okay. uh, th- that part, uh, obviously. And then you want to architect it where it's not just a U.S. problem, right? So the architecture of the solution was critical for us as we move into other geographies if we move into canada if we move into mexico if we move into europe we move mm-hmm. into india so uh, that that part was critical for us as well so we went through that process uh, so we uh, it was a good i would say 18 18 months before we hit the market, after testing everything out properly.
0: I mean, I would imagine that your problem that you have with any kind of thing that approaches a marketplace, you need two sides, right? You That's need the right. shippers, you need the carriers, you need enough of them. <laughs> the more carriers you have, the more shippers, you know, it's a network effect that you, someone, you need to get their flywheel <laughs> flying, so to speak. How um, how did you convince the first parties to join and what was, the, what was the incentive? Were they so desperate? I mean, or did you pick out, uh, some companies on the shipper side, for example, they're particular prone to try new technologies. So how did you decide who to partner with?
1: Yeah, th- now uh, it's a, uh, it's one of those uh, crazy marketplace questions and it's not even a typical marketplace where you're p- uh, putting two parties together. So it, it goes even further than that. So uh, the mm-hmm. first first decision we had to take was uh, uh, do you start with demand or do you start with supply? and you know, we were in a crazy crazy market where the supply was extremely short right extremely uh, limited uh, the carriers made that's a could
0: that's important to mention that's, that's important to mention you started the idea in 2018 and 18 months so you're talking middle of almost 2000 2000- 20, yeah, so where it should hit the fan. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a not a typical time. Okay, That's right. so that was, in hindsight, was it a good thing? Was it a good thing to start under those conditions? Or was it, in hindsight, would you have preferred another time? Or maybe it played into your cards? I don't know.
1: Uh, it, so th- this is the thing about our business model. It actually doesn't, uh, the timing is less critical for us in that we, we have a situation where y- you have either constrained supply that drives a part of the ecosystem, and then you have a constrained demand that drives the other part of the ecosystem, right? So, so both are crazy. In our case, where we ended up, even with the constrained supply, uh, we ended up uh, starting with the demand side of it first. And mm-hmm. uh, when we approached the first set of uh, enterprise shippers. Uh, the response was awesome. The response was where our approach was not that we are trying to provide you cost benefits and things like that, not direct uh, that we will uh, bring your transportation costs uh, down by 10% or something like that. It was more, this is what we are trying to do and this is what does it does for you in the long term and this is how it makes capacity more reliable for you. And that message resonated with the first set of customers and then the second set of customers and Uh, It resonated so much that some of these customers actually started within six months of joining and working with us. They were already bringing other customers into the network. So uh, so turned out to be a good approach on that side. And then we were able to bring in, uh, we have a small ops team. We try to keep it small because... Uh, This is the other, on the supply side, this is the other crazy thing you'll see, especially brokers advertising, oh, we have a million carriers in our ecosystem. And you say, okay, on an average, a carrier will have at least five to 10 trucks. And you look at the numbers and you say, do you use a truck from a carrier every couple of years? Because that's basically what the revenue is telling you. So, uh, it's it's again. People will talk about the fragmentation of the industry and everything like that. But you're not utilizing the relationships that you have. You're not really doing anything for uh, the ecosystem members, and that's where uh, our approach. Uh, we have a couple of thousand carriers on our network right now, right? Let's say but the approach has always been just because we create these long term relationships on the carrier also the number of trucks we need the number of carriers we need in the platform is significantly lower so we don't uh, we don't believe in the metric that okay somehow 2000 or 10000 or 20000 carriers signifies anything meaningful in our uh, in our commitment what is more important to us is on an average, our long-term carrier partners—how much business are they doing? As part mm-hmm. of, uh, are they doing 10% of their miles with us in a year, 50% of the miles, or all of it? Right. So that's uh, that's a better measurement for uh, what our model looks like, and that has a very direct impact on the unit economics. So uh, you can bring the cost down so many different ways, but keeping the process smooth and making the capacity more reliable. It requires that we have these relationships that cannot cannot be created between an enterprise and carrier directly for the long haul side of it, but creating it for the ecosystem, that reliable capacity, that becomes um, much more achievable. That's much more feasible, and that, that's how we go about it.
0: Okay, now let's just walk us through a typical example from the vantage point of a shipper. How they use the platform and what kind of benefits they get out of it.
1: Yeah, so the basic process that we go through before we bring a shipper on board is, we say, let us look at, let's say, the last 12 months of your shipment data we have this whole uh, the predictive optimization engine that is already running the ecosystem on a continuous basis. And we say, what we are going to do is we are going to take your data, we are going to synthesize with uh, our network as it is right now, and let's see where the opportunities are for a meaningful reduction in mileage, meaningful uh, improvement in efficiency, where the synergies are. So so mm-hmm. that's the that's the process we go through even before we bring a customer on. And then we get into a collaborative cycle with them, deciding, okay, this is where we want to start. You want to get comfortable in terms of us, this technology team being able to meet your operational needs, right? So that was the first hurdle we had to cross with the first set of customers.
0: Yeah, let me ask you, first of all, like, how willing are these shippers to share their data with you? And then how easy is it for you to just take the data as it is? Because I can envision their formatting issues, data quality issues, like what you get from them and what format and how this transfer takes place will affect the outcome of this trial, of this sort of simulation, right? So talk to me about the willingness and the the difficulty of getting started with this data in the engine.
1: Yeah, So, uh, so interestingly again this was a reservation we had this was a concern we had right mm-hmm. uh, we, we have not had uh, once we explain what we are trying to do uh, the customers are buying into that idea and uh, we don't uh, we don't face any resistance in them sharing mm-hmm. that data with us at that point so uh, mm-hmm. so we have lots tens of billions of worth of freight data annually uh, that we can that we are running through this engine right so it's a Uh, that that has been actually a very very good experience in these companies willingness their understanding of what we are trying to do and then their willingness to uh, share the data become part of this uh, ecosystem the second part of it uh, when we talk about the collaboration platform so this was uh, a learning that we had not just with gt nexus but through the career we getting the data for uh, an assessment like this but then Uh, getting the data on the operational side uh, flowing in uh, without putting a whole lot of manual effort into it. Uh, That was the entire design part of the structure that we built for the platform itself. So Mm -hmm. uh, being able to take data from in different formats and different sources and uh, the advantage that we have is the transportation data, the load data is uh, fairly standard. The EDI standards have been established for a long time these guys are communicating it to the carriers and you basically need uh, that basic data that you're bringing in. So it's not, uh, assessment side is not completely uh, seamless, but it's not uh, a day's worth of work to massage the data and to clean up the data and uh, to put it in. And,
0: and the data typically comes out of their ERP systems or TMS systems or variation of, or? That's exactly what, right. How does it work? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. So um, it's, uh, So there are customers who use the TMS to store that data. There are customers who uh, will take it from the TMS and take it into their ERP and tender tender the loads out from there. So those are the two basic sources where they extract the data from. But then on the operational side, we create uh, an integration on that side. So just keep it clean.
0: Yeah, so I would describe this as an exploratory phase where you take the data, you run it through the engine to identify if there's opportunities. Have you seen cases where you said, well, thanks for the data, we looked at it, that doesn't quite work, you're not a good fit, and just, like, let's pause, <laughs> let's pause here for a second, and you come back later when the, when the platform looks differently? Or have you basically run into situations where every sort of data set you imported from a potential customer actually worked out?
1: No, so, uh, so uh, this, this, is the, this is the key piece. Uh, the, way, uh, the way this structure evolves is when we take the data, there have been situations where a good 70% of the volume was uh, synergistic with our network. And there have been cases where uh, just 10 to 15% of the volume that the customer was running.
0: And 70% is quite significant because when you're saying you have a couple of thousand carriers, I mean, it's not like you have 80% of the potential carrier network covered. You have a small sliver, right? And still, you run into situations where 70% is already covered?
1: Those are two separate things, right? Uh, So uh, when you say 70% of the volume, the first thing we are trying to assess through this uh, process is how much of it, because capacity is available. Mm -hmm. It's again, we will onboard capacity as we generate more and more demand and where we need that capacity from. We are very targeted in that as well. So we don't do the random uh, acquisition of carriers. We're basically saying, uh, we need them in Dallas. We need them in uh, mm-hmm. Chicago. We need them in Atlanta, those kind of places. We need them in Southern California. But the basic idea is when we take the data and a customer on day one is not going to give us 70% of their volume. Okay, so right. uh, so we want to be real on that side. But uh, <laughs> there is that creates a potential even at that point where you say, can I take 70% of this company's loads and let's say they are worth overall 500 million. So you can take $350 million worth of loads and you can actually run them at, let's say an empty percentage of 10% or below. The amount of capacity expansion that represents is significant. It basically is saying that the trucks that you would use to meet that demand, you would have augmented their capacity by close to 30% of what they are doing today.
0: And that's because you have your optimization engine and on top of it that's that right. does a better job of eliminating empty miles and better usage of the existing fleets.
1: It, it's the combination of, because the engine still has to work on these enterprises coming together. So the first step always is that these enterprises are willing to collaborate. Now, so so mm-hmm. that's the first part of it. But the second part of it is more interesting for us and how we grow that. So a new customer joins and they provide their data and they start working with us it basically means that that data has opened up opportunities for our existing customers more and more of their volume as we scale up that becomes synergistic as well right so let's say without this retailer xyz there were certain efficiencies in the set of customers we had in the network but when xyz joins there are new lanes and new geographies that become synergistic right okay that so, makes sense so that mm-hmm. keeps growing that mm-hmm.
0: way okay so then uh, let's let's step one step further you um the, the customer realizes okay you've, you've you've run that trial period or that sort of finding phase and they and they join and then they are the paying party, right? So yeah. the business model is that they pay for for the service. What about the carriers?
1: We pay the carriers.
0: You pay the carriers. You basically, as you said, you know, the technology provider. But you're charging for the technology? Is it like a software as a service or
1: no? It's uh- it's pure tech enabled services. we do not charge yeah. for uh, usage of the Got platform, ahead. all the technology that we have built in all the way from not just predictive optimization, all the any visibility we would provide to the shipments, any of the automation that we provide. So there is a whole lot of AI in the platform that ha- you have to uh, build that in to achieve the scale these days. We do not charge for uh, the platform membership today. Uh, it is purely, we believe that we can create enough efficiencies between what the shippers are doing and uh, when they are collaborating, there are enough efficiencies that we can generate uh, to make it meaningful for everyone. Yeah, and
0: just to link a little bit more on the type of um, shippers that this is particularly attractive to, you mentioned fast-moving consumer goods, you mentioned retailers. Who else is your, your, your prime target? So. And is it a certain size? Describe to me the the, the perfect customer.
1: Our segmentation, uh, we do it by vertical and then we do it by size. You're you're right on. So mm-hmm. on the vertical side, uh, when we were uh, starting out, we wanted to create a core because you want to scale up uh, a little more quickly before you start opening it up uh, to uh, smaller shippers, right? Mid-sized shippers and smaller shippers. So the first part of it, obviously CPG companies make sense just because they use a whole lot of truckload uh, shipment. Uh, Retail, the same thing, especially because they need the truckload side, but they also have a whole lot of people feeding truckload shipments into them. And so there is a strong pain point on that side, even for the largest uh, retailers that you can think of, where uh, the on-time and full and on-time delivery into their warehouses, that's always a problem. It's like people cannot still exceed uh, 70 to 80% on time in OTEF, right? So uh, so you
0: have a bunch of people in the warehouses waiting for trucks to arrive and vice versa. Yeah, so it's right. super inefficient. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah.
1: that part of it comes in. But then on the size part of it, where we always go is we say, uh, we started with the large customers, large shippers. We are already bringing in mid-sized shippers. And then... On the lower side is where, as we scale up, we will start opening it up to smaller shippers that are shipping, let's say, anywhere from 10 million to 25 to 50 million annually in freight, truckload freight. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the advantage to them is uh, just so much higher because they don't get access to the service and the pricing that the larger shippers would get. And in our case, it is identical to them, right? It Basically, this is what we are providing. We are not charging a brokerage fee on top of whatever we whatever these guys pay us so so that part of it becomes super attractive to them at the same time just to make sure that we are doing it in a, a sustainable manner that's the sequence we follow so we are still bringing in large shippers into the mix but then we are starting to introduce the mid size guys in there
0: yeah and you just mentioned the, the keyword brokerage um, you know in the traditional way there was always there was a shipper and there was a broker in between the the, the carrier is that still part of the equation? Are brokers still playing a role in this particular model or are you cutting them out of the picture?
1: So uh, I think that that's, a, that's an interesting question because uh, the way we think about the market, there is always going to be a part of the market that is um, what you would call the spot market. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, what brokers have tried to do, so a couple of them have tried to dabble in uh, where they try to do contract but because they don't have really a way to create efficiencies they very soon go to cutting their losses on the contract side by bringing in spot and then they become spot heavy there are maybe uh, there may be one exception to it maybe two uh, out there that still does a decent amount of contract work but they still source their capacity from the spot market when we come in it's basically saying you know Uh, There are geographies where there is still going to be spot loads. There is still enough variability uh, where the brokers can still play, but there is no scenario that we can think of where uh, the spot market would be 30 percent of the overall market. That should not happen. And those are the situations where the enterprise shippers actually, they blow their budgets, they don't have any control over the quality of the supply that they're getting. Uh, that that situation should never come up, right? The, uh, yes, the network is imbalanced, but the imbalances are not at that level.
0: Mm-hmm. and if you if your promise is right and the the so sort of long term contracts are are it's running smoothly, then there's less demand for for spot work, right? So they can lower their, their spot percentage, so to speak, right? Yeah, the geography That's they the
1: take on. That is uh, so th- that brings us to the customer experience side of it. This is why so that is the first step where these uh, customers decide to join us based on what we are trying to do. But then the expansion always happens based on the customer experience they have with us, right? And uh, we focus very, very strongly on if they are giving us a geography, they should be able to set cab as the provider and forget about it, right? Because basically anything they give to us, we would execute it, and we would execute it to mm-hmm. the best of our ability at the highest quality. And so, uh, Industry metric on that side is where a primary provider on an average. I'm not suggesting uh, of course uh, timing changes But maybe 50 60 70 percent of the time they would be able to accept a load And then the shipper has to go to the second contracted carrier the third contracted carrier down the routing guide and then they end up in the spot market We try to do uh, 99 percent uh, plus, okay, of, that's a big uh, difference. Okay, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, And these contracts are typically annual contracts, or how long is the, the time horizon for for the shippers with you?
1: Yeah, the, so the, that's a, that, that's an interesting question because uh, uh, the the way the <laughs> that's the what Posca's all about.
0: They're about interesting questions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're, so there is uh, there is two components in there, and uh, we conflate it a whole lot of times. So uh, the, the enterprise shippers actually do a very good job of uh, signaling a long-term relationship. And a long-term is not a one-year relationship. So the master agreements, anytime we sign with any of these customers, they really don't have an end date or they auto-renew year after year after year. When we talk Mm -hmm. about the rate part of it, uh, there is the annual cycle. Uh, So I'm uh, going to say there is a bid cycle, but then there is a contract duration. Uh, the contract duration in most cases it's 12 months, but then there is some seasonal volume that we are able to incorporate in there as well, which may be shorter.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Let's um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the the, the carrier part of it. We've talked a long time around the, the shipper side, and the shipper perspective. Let's talk about the carriers. Maybe first describe the sort of landscape in the U.S., which is different than some of the trucking landscape in Europe, for example. There's tons and tons of small operator carrier, sort of small setup, mom and pop, trucking companies in the US. Describe to us that a little bit, because we have an international audience just to make sure that people understand the sort of particularities and the the special situation in the trucking market in the US.
1: Yeah, this is a question that comes up a lot of times. And some people think that uh, the US market is uh, so much more fragmented than their geography. And then some think that uh, US market is much more organized and uh, yeah. their geographies are much more fragmented. We were having this discussion with a big group of companies in India, that, uh, and they they basically were on the other side. And uh, the surprising part is when you go from geography to geography, when it comes to trucking, especially the mid to long haul trucking, the structure is very different. Yes, the ground realities may change. How you work with the carriers may be slightly different. But when you look at the US market, let's say, Uh, and they talk about the fragmentation and there are two components there as well. One is there's a large number or percentage of owner operators. So let's say there are 2 million trucks doing this work, one way transportation mid to long haul. You'll basically say, oh, uh, 86% or so are one to two truck owner operators. And then you say six plus trucks, you are already in the 90s and then 20 plus trucks you have reached the 94, 95% of the population. This thing hides the fact that even the larger carriers, how much of their capacity, so they, their number of assets looks very, very large, but the number of trucks that they put in the market for the OTR side of it, for the one-way transportation on the long haul, that's actually very, very small. So when you say you are looking at the top five carriers, let's say in the U.S., out of the two million trucks, they provide less than 20,000 trucks in this particular structure, right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about, uh, it's at that point, it's not meaningful, right? It's 1% of the capacity. So no matter what you are going to do, uh, you are dealing with an extremely fragmented market. Now, it's just, I don't know if it is exactly the same, but it is very similar in Europe. It's not like there are large carriers dominate that market either the big huge step the big huge mindset change that we have to make is we have traditionally treated fragmentation as a problem okay now that basically is saying oh the small businesses are less efficient or create a problem than uh, if you basically created monopolies and we are all cable customers right (laughs) there's no uh, (laughs) it basically is not either or and so creating a structure, creating a platform that actually takes advantage of and makes it meaningful, bringing these guys in and doing the operation, taking advantage of the structure, making it meaningful for the owner operators, for the small carriers. I think that's a better approach to doing it. So uh, I think the market characteristics are what they are. There are advantages that the larger carriers have over smaller carriers, but the smaller carriers are nimble. And the way they approach Mm -hmm. the market the uh, kind of service they are able to provide it actually a big part of the large carrier population is using these guys Uh, so there is the whole uh, ic part of the thing that you see in their balance sheets and the income statements Uh, there's a big part that actually the capacity is coming from the smaller guys even for the larger carriers
0: yeah, and if you would summarize it, what's the, what's the main selling point for a carrier to join the network?
1: So the two pieces that come up, so uh, one uh, at a very basic level, what you are looking at is, think about the software licensing model that we used to have, right? So very lumpy, very unpredictable. Where we are trying to take the carriers is we are saying, this is how much money and this is what margin that you make for a year on an average. By utilizing the efficiency, uh, the capacity that you guys have, we are able to generate higher revenue without you incurring higher costs so your margin is always going to be not just higher but it's going to be very predictable so that is the that is the financial predictability that comes into the picture the second part that becomes important for them is their drivers are running uh, coming home more predictably so When you deal with uh, 100% plus attrition rates in this industry, you are able to bring the attrition down. That's a very meaningful thing for the carriers, right? And it automatically impacts the safety side of it because the drivers are going in the geographies Mm -hmm. regularly. Now, the last part of it that uh, one of our uh, dedicated carrier partners uh, pointed out was, when you create a revenue stream like that, today, that carrier has 10 trucks, and they are basically able to dedicate that capacity to a semi-cap platform. Uh, we are running them as efficiently as we can, but there is a revenue stream, which is very predictable. They can actually take it to the bank and get financing for 10 more trucks. Mm, so the mm-hmm, growth part the of it is mm-hmm. growth part of it is very, very big especially for the smaller carriers.
0: Interesting. Do they typically, your, your typical carrier, do they dedicate all of their capacity to semi-cab or are they just, just a part of it or how do they do it typically?
1: Not initially. Uh, so uh, yeah. I think the the maximum we have today is somewhere around 50 to 60% of the capacity that 56%. they dedicate to us. Because, they, they come with existing customer relationships,
0: right? Of course, yeah. But how do, you, how do you vet these guys? I mean, obviously, service quality is in the other dimension we haven't quite talked about. It kind of played into some of the things you said. But you obviously, once you bring a carrier on your network, you want to make sure that they buy by a certain service level, safety, you have it. Like, Talk to me about the vetting process that goes into deciding who comes on and doesn't.
1: Yeah, so, so there is uh, two, two parts to it. One is when they join the network, There is a certain level of vetting before we would ever give them a load to execute. So the safety record, the insurance part of it, uh, what uh, authority and compliance and all those kind of things, authorizations they have, licenses they have. That sounds
0: like a very manual thing. You have a team of people just doing that. No, 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 no. It's completely automated. automated, Completely automated. All right.
1: Yes. Awesome. mm -hmm. And for every carrier in the network, uh, we would run it every morning. And then, as soon as we decide to uh, award a load to a carrier, we would run it again. So it's almost completely real time. So,
0: well, so, so okay. So tell me about that. How does it work? Well, like, what, what what are you running? Where are you sorting the data from? Is it publicly available, but safety records or something? Or are you yeah, tapping into, or yeah?
1: Yeah. So uh, so that's the that that's an advantage of operating in the U.S. FEMSA uh, actually maintains this database. Uh, where the carriers have to provide that information and update that information. And then uh, there are uh, partners that we have, like safer, SaferWatch, that uh, are keeping that data current, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. so that, that is one part of it uh, where uh, even before we would try to do business with these guys. But then the bigger part of the wedding for us, because that doesn't tell you what kind of customer experience these guys are going to provide in the end when they are picking up the load, when they're delivering the load. So so we start these guys out by giving them loads on a one-way basis. And we measure that performance over an extended period of time. In some cases, depending on the, uh, the volume on those lanes, we might do it for a good eight to 12 weeks where we have accumulated enough data. We know what the customer feedback has been. We know what the performance has been. And that's when we start converting them into Capacity that would be more dedicated to the platform.
0: So they're going through a, a trial period, so to speak.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to, yeah. right? It's uh, uh you, it, it's not, it's not something you can actually skip. You're skipping it. <laughs> you're basically uh, reneging on yeah, uh, the commitment that you yeah. have made to your customer.
0: Yeah. T- talk me a little bit about your team. I mean, I want to know wh- how big are you right now and what's, what are your growth plans looking looking ahead? Or you talked a little bit about, about foreign markets already, but first of all, of course, first priority is the U.S., so you're building everything for the U.S., but with a future outlook of having a platform that's applicable and scalable into other markets, right? But it's U.S. first, correct?
1: It is U.S. first, and uh, although I have a big development to share with you, but uh, the U.S. market uh, is where we started the team. Um, this is where we run. Uh, we just brought in a couple of people that uh, we have in common uh, to uh, augment yeah, sales saw. and accounts. Great
0: hires, by the way, <laughs> whoever's you. listening, of oh, those folks, great hires. <laughs>
1: Thank you. So we brought in uh, people on the sales side, the marketing side. Uh, we have people who just have a strong, strong industry background, right, Uh, steeped in logistics Mm -hmm. and supply chain. A Couple of them have actually written books about uh, how how you structure a supply chain, how you operate a supply chain efficiently, right? Uh, With uh, lots and lots of experience. The team is small, Uh, it's by design. We don't want to become, we are trying to change the paradigm in here and the paradigms are around how much freight can you handle per employee and we're we're already past that part of it, right? So keeping the team small, and then we have a strong base uh, for engineering, QA, uh, support operations in uh, in India in Bangalore, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and that team has been performing uh, like crazy. They, the amount of stuff awesome. they produce. So, so so that is that that is the structure. Now that structure in Bangalore basically is designed where it will support uh, any operations where we expand. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the first expansions that we are looking at is, uh, is in India, where the India market is awesome. uh, similar and the technology part of it, the multi-enterprise platform, it doesn't exist there either, right? Because uh, as Gartner would tell you, uh, we are the only platform of its kind even now in North America. Uh, so nothing in India.
0: And- well, yeah, it, it also depends on how you define the platform and the, the niche. The, 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 the smaller you define the niche, the more unique you are. But yeah, in general, I, I get it. After the long conversation we had today, you have something unique. So yeah, I, I buy that from you.
1: <laughs> no, it's a, it's again, uh, we, we say it all the time. And uh, one of the big validations, uh, Boris, has been in terms of our tooting our horns, I think that, that is that does something. But every conference that we have attended, every customer that we speak with, uh, who has a certain understanding of the logistics world and how transportation works, we have not had a 15-minute conversation at the end of which the other party would say, oh, yeah, you are doing something different. Yes, you're not doing it like other people are doing it. So, so th- that is meaningful to us, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. it validates our approach that it still is producing value, and it is, uh, it is different. It's solving a different problem. Uh, so that that's the big, huge part of it where uh, we, we are trying to, I think the U.S. side, we will expand the team over the next mm-hmm. six months. Uh, they We are going to set up an entire uh, operations team in India to handle the India market completely autonomous from each other.
0: Fantastic. And how are you financed right now? I saw you. You first was a bootstrapped, and then maybe some debt financing, but later on VC. Wh- wh- where are you right now in terms of financing?
1: No, we, we've uh, so we've raised money as we needed it, and uh, we've been uh-huh. we've been fortunate. We have a very large, uh, basically professionals from supply chain, logistics, uh, technology side of it uh, that have. Uh, That's helpful. That, <laughs> they, they bought into the model early on. And, uh, they, and they
0: have more realistic expectations than some of the Silicon Valley folks, maybe.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay, that's a, already a good decision. Yeah. No, a, a lot of those professionals actually come out of the Silicon Valley, so uh, n- mm-hmm. nothing against them. And then we have uh, <laughs> a, a large uh, angel group uh, called Gangels, uh, Believes in Diversity. That is a core value for Semicab as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that's where we have been. Uh, I think we will do a Series A uh, later this year. Uh, is what we are going awesome. to go into.
0: Yeah, that sounds exciting. I mean, especially because you have a lot of folks that we share in common. I know they're super talented people and you wouldn't have been able to convince them to join you if you hadn't something there. And it's also so super encouraging to see some of the, the customer names that we haven't talked about, but I've seen somewhere the customers are on the platform. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Not everybody who's built something within first two, three, four years um, has customers like that on the platform. So that's super exciting stuff. I'm super excited for you. Good stuff, man. Thank you, Boris. Yeah. So, and when are you coming to Europe? What's the what's the growth plan for Europe? <laughs> is it a totally different animal? Just in, in a nutshell, or is that? Are you confident that you can apply that model the way it works in the U.S. and it may work in India to Europe?
1: So, what what we have seen, I think we have been uh, doing uh, trial runs for that uh, expansion, right? So, we uh, we were the first part that we did after the U.S. We wanted to model Mexico market in there, and we were able to uh, seamlessly do that, and uh, the latest one is uh, we have a large number of companies that have already provided us data for the india market uh, that that we are running through and yes there are uh, minor localization pieces especially on the financial settlement side of things uh, different instruments different underlying platforms but the model travels beautifully right it's uh, mm-hmm. the there's the technology part of it but the business model is traveling seamlessly as well, which is uh, which is very uh, uh, w- w- really, really good. Uh, on the Europe side, I think the the big, huge piece, the reason we don't uh, uh, do multiple geographies at the same time, Boris is, it requires a certain level of attention to set up the operations because it's not a technology. I'm not suggesting that you should. I think that's
0: the smart approach to do one after another. But at the same time, if your theory is correct that this is something super unique, that the minute you talk to customers, they immediately get it, they immediately jump on board. Other companies will try to do the same thing and there's big players with deep pockets and good expertise. You're going to get some competition and maybe other platforms trying to replicate what you've done. So you may have to move fast, man. Oh,
1: competition is good. Competition is good. I think... uh, uh, we, 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 don't, we don't sit on uh, what we have built. We are always obviously trying to make it better and better and better. At the end of the day, I think the model has to go to where every truck out there is running close to 5 to 8% empty mileage, is not sitting idle everywhere. The drivers are actually coming home every night or every other night. That's a big, huge way to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you if you put it that way, I mean, just the situation that's been going on for so long is an absolute disaster. It's a disaster for the for the environment. It's a disaster for the economy, for the truck drivers, for for the companies or It's super super sub is the way to put it. So if you can solve that that problem, I'm I'm all for you. Yep.
1: So so, so that that's where the competition part of it. Is where yeah, bring uh, it if on. They, you're if saying they, okay. If they get to this level, we are already moving to the next level, right?
0: Awesome. I like your attitude. Awesome, Ajash. Thanks very much for that conversation. I'm I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on you guys. Let's um, let's schedule something in the books for in a year or two. Let's see where you are with your expansion across the U.S. and the expansion into India. Maybe you're already knocking on the door in Europe. Then I'll be all there. Awesome. Wonderful.
1: No, thank, thank you for having me, Boris. It's always great to talk with you.
0: All right. That was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Rajesh Kapoor from SemiCap. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If so, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgendrea. Until next time.